0: Hello, hello, welcome and welcome back to the Blazers for Goalposts podcast. Today, as ever, I'm joined by the usual gang in London. Well, most of the usual gang, the beloved John Walters is taking a breather, and we've subbed in a new loan signing for this episode. Before I hand it off to my very old and good friend to introduce himself, I'm going to kick off today's intros by honouring another old and good friend that's just returned to all of our lives. And that, of course, is football, and in particular, German football. So we're all going to be naming our favourite German team. That team that we've had a crush on and admired from a distance over the years. Never taking it too seriously. Never thinking it was quite the right match. But nowadays, they're all we've got. And it's finally time for me to make the first move by saying that Borussia Dortmund, I've always kind of had a thing for you. Big Yang collar up top. The look old Mozart, Thomas Rosicky in the middle. And you didn't look half bad in those black and yellow striped socks
1: either. Hi, my name's Gabriel. Um, I'm an old friend of everyone here I went to primary school with Keitel. Um But yeah, I'm happy Happy to be on the show And, and reunite with you guys So my favourite Bundesliga team It's got to be Hertha Berlin uh, I went to see them Play a friendly uh, Crystal Palace's ground And uh, the fan groups are crazy So it's got to be them But second is Gladbach Because it's Wenger's favourite team When he was growing up And uh, I watched them this weekend And they're playing good football
2: My favourite Bundesliga team has to be FC Köln. That's for several reasons. One, they actually recently partnered up with my own team, Sunderland, on Twitter. So a lot of Sunderland fans are currently watching FC Köln's games and supporting them from a distance. Their mascot is the Billy Goat, that is called Henness. And before the matches, he walks around the pitch and he's paraded like as the celebrity that he is. And actually. I was there when they were relegated from the Bundesliga, so since then I've had a soft spot for them.
3: Hi everyone, it's Jonny here. I took a quiz a few days ago to determine which Bundesliga team I should start supporting, and it gave me Bayer Leverkusen. So I suppose it has to be them. They have some exciting players. It feels a bit soulless and corporate, but you play the hand that's dealt to you.
4: Hi everybody, it's Joe here, and. I'm also, like Yoni, going for Bayer Leverkusen, although I didn't take any quizzes. I'm simply deciding to support them, because a bit like my team, Tottenham, they're quite a good team that just don't seem to be able to win trophies. So I thought I'd show some solidarity. Fußball ist Zurück. For those who don't speak German, that means football is back. Or shall I say, the Bundesliga is back. One of Europe's most exciting leagues, and for the time being, the only major league we are all able to watch. There's a lot to discuss about Germany's top division. However, let's start today's episode with a feature we've been running since episode two. Ooh uh, are yeah. I'm now going to pass over to Gabe, who will be leading this section.
1: All right, so my player, he's, he's one of the best players to have ever graced the Bundesliga. He came with 16 goals in the 2014 to 2015 season. Only Abemiang, Robin, Lewandowski, and the best of them all, Alexander Meyer, with 19 goals scored more. And he's Dutch.
0: Okay. Well, I would be tempted to guess that it might be the, the hunter. If, if, if you know what I'm saying. But is that
1: true? Unfortunately, you're incorrect, Clare. of course I was talking topic. about Placian Huntelow. So that's, that's one guess gone.
2: I was going to say that too.
1: Gabe,
4: I've got a question for you. Did this player play for Hamburg?
1: No, but I'll tell you where he did play. He played in Portugal and he had a terrific couple of seasons there.
4: I, I know uh, who it is.
1: I think I know who it is. He he never had a
0: season as good as his season back at Herenveen though did he?
1: You're correct. He had a fantastic season at Herenveen, you know. All right, I'm going to say. So um if
0: anyone else wants to chime in I won't, I won't give it up yet.
4: This guy's Dutch, right?
1: He's Dutch and he's a Herenveen product. Those appear a, a few times before that. Did you describe him as one
2: of the best players in Bundesliga I history? That's
1: uh, it's 100% true.
4: Is his first
1: name quite short? Sure? It is. Yeah, okay, okay. You've got it. It's Bastos. <laughs> <laughs> one of the uh... most celebrated players, tall as can be, and he had a terrific season at Wolfsburg. He's not really managed to live back up to that one season, but he does still play his trade there. I think he's back at Frankfurt now. So, yeah, it's Bastos, everyone, Bastos. I've got another player. This was actually, he, he's got a few caps that are really good, one of the best. And the best national teams in the world. He's a Brazilian guy, and he was centre back for a team in the Bundesliga. That's where he played his trade. That's where he made his career, as you can say.
4: Is his name one word?
1: Yeah, you've got it. Probably. <laughs> well,
4: there's two of them actually. It could be
0: Dante or Ronaldo.
1: Oh no! Um, of them. There's one more that you're missing out. Ooh. He's he's older.
4: Oh, did he play for Bayer Leverkusen?
1: He did. Oh. Ah. He's a World no. Cup winner, isn't he? He is. I yeah. believe he was at the 2002 World Cup.
4: Oh, what a player this guy was.
1: Yeah, he was a fantastic player.
4: Does anybody want to reveal the name of this fantastic centre-half?
1: It's, it's Yuan, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Yuan. Did he play in the Bundesliga, Yuan? He did. He played at Bayer Leverkusen. From 2006, oh I 2007. Thought I thought
2: it,
4: thought it was Lucio. Lucio. Wait. I thought it was Lucio. Is it not Lucio? <laughs> it's not
0: Lucio. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. because is that, is that the Yuan that played for Roma? Yes. That, oh, that. I had no idea. I had absolutely no I idea. That I <laughs> he
1: made his career. He by Leverkusen.
4: Oh, well. Wow. There we were, yeah. all being smug. We, 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 we were all being so smug thinking <laughs> with Lucio. And Gabe has just absolutely gone and done us. Fantastic.
1: That was good. I'm surprised you didn't get
4: it. Yeah, no, well done, Gabe.
2: So we just heard a couple of names that you'll all be familiar with there. They've had good careers, still going as well. But the Bundesliga is also famous for being a bit of a hotbed of young footballing talent. There are a lot of good youngsters coming through there. A lot of good youngsters have already made their names there and are applying their trade all across Europe. My little uh, claim to fame, I was there moment, if you will, was I was there when Jaden Sancho scored his first goal for Borussia Dortmund in a 4-0 win over Bayer Leverkusen. And I remember there was a lot of hype about Jaden Sancho at the time and I got to see a little bit of it for myself. So he's uh, one youngster that's just... That's making a name for himself right now. Are there any other uh, players that you think might, you might be hearing a lot more of in the next few years?
3: I'd like to talk about someone who we're hearing quite a lot about now, although not very much from, it must be said, a teammate of Jadon Sancho's, who has only joined the Bundesliga in the last few months. And that is, of course, Erling Braut Haaland. It might seem strange to be t- talking about him as one of the Bundesliga wonder kids when he's only really been in the league or only had about seven weeks worth of football to make an impression, but such is his career trajectory, such is his talent that everyone is talking about him now. He began his career in Norway at Molde, didn't really show the sort of prolific goal-scoring record that he has shown since then, but joined Salzburg in, I think, 2018. And again, started well, but not emphatically. But then in the 1920 season, he got 28 goals in 22 games for them, which convinced... Borussia Dortmund amongst many other teams to show interest in him and Dortmund being the sort of petri dish of young talent that they are was his preferred destination and since then he has announced himself even more emphatically than before in the Champions League think about that goal against PSG before Dortmund were eventually knocked out. There's something so cool and a bit scary about him having this amount of talent being so unfazed he's still a teenager and it's one of those moments again that you realize wow the dream is really dead when this guy was born in this millennium and he's achieved so many things already and will probably go on to achieve much more people are talking about him now for other reasons because i don't know if you've seen this the post-match interviews that have been doing the rounds there's a kind of i'm not sure how to describe it he doesn't really answer questions with any elaboration I i don't
1: really like that about him I, you I, think, I think that he should be more respectful of reporters personally. But I think that video clip, which was uploaded, it was kind of sent aside. Like it didn't show the full interview and he was more open in the full interview. But I think sometimes he answers questions in a bit of a playful way. But, but you think it's disrespectful? Yeah, it's making a bit of a mockery of the reporters. And like, if you're young, I feel that you should be a bit more... I think regardless of whether you're young or old you should probably be respectful of those who are just trying to do their job but it sometimes it's funny
3: it's definitely was... different and like what one of the one of the things I think one of the reasons it stands out so much is because when footballers give interviews usually it's full of the same platitudes the same clichés you can almost telegraph and script what a footballer is going to say in response to very routine questions from journalists. I think that's one of the reasons it sticks out so much. And the kind of minimalism in the answers is reflective of his minimalism on the pitch.
0: Another interesting interview with Haaland is when asked his opinion on the PSG team doing the recreation of his meditation celebration from, I think, the first leg game. And they kind of mockingly retaliated with a picture of the entire team doing it. And Haaland, I don't know if he just didn't really get the message from the interview, but he, was, he certainly wasn't upset by it. He, he, he said that he was happy that, that PSG were promoting uh, meditation more. So he's just a massive fan <laughs> of meditation. Um, yeah. So um, it's interesting because um, obviously, yeah, being a, a guy who meditates, he's, he's quite clearly probably got some like, inner peace going on. But on the outside, as Yanni mentioned, he's this ruthless clinical striker. I remember hearing about him for the first time after he bagged nine goals against the Honduras under-20 team for the Norway under-20s. And if you look back at the highlights of his goals in that game, I think after he scores about the sixth or seventh goal, and of course, you know, you're entitled to celebrate every goal that you score, but the Honduras (laughs) defenders literally, like, attack him after he starts celebrating one of the goals because they're just like, come on, mate, like, stop taking the piss.
4: The thing I think about Haaland is he's a 19-year-old that plays like a 29-year-old. I mean, I don't know about you, but I watched the Dortmund-Schalke game on the weekend and like the finish for that first goal was so impressive. And it's that cliche, but he made it look easy, didn't he? And he's he's been doing that now for the last, well, certainly last six months, maybe the last year or so. And I mean... I can't help but think that this guy is going to end up being the best striker of his generation. The fact that he's a bit of a character, I think at this stage only adds to the whole Haaland aura. I just want to talk about another young player in the Bundesliga now, and another 19 year old, although one that plays for Bayern Munich, and his name is Alfonso Davis. Now, Alfonso Davis, if you don't know, is a Ghanaian-born Canadian international who was actually originally playing for the Vancouver Whitecaps and signed for Bayern Munich as a 17-year-old. And he's done bloody well since he's been at Bayern Munich. He's already made 28 appearances in the league, scored a couple of goals from that left wing-back position that he tends to play. And to be honest, the only time I have properly seen him play was in a Champions League game against Chelsea. And my word, he looked absolutely fantastic in that game. It was genuinely exciting watching him play, running down that wing, getting past the defender every single time. I mean, the Chelsea players just didn't know how to defend him. And then just to add everything on top of that, he's the classic sort of young footballer in that his social media game is very strong. And I've actually just been on his TikTok account, where he has just under a million followers. and apparently. If Alfonso Davis was a McDonald's item, he would be a quarter pounder. So there's a fact about Alfonso Davis you didn't think you know. But guys, I'm just keen to hear your thoughts on the young Canadian wing back because from what I'm seeing, this guy has the potential to be one of the best wing backs to ever play the game. What do
1: you think? Firstly, I love the fact that he still reps Canada. Has he already played for the first 11?
4: Yeah, he's played 17 times for the national team and has scored five goals for him. So I think he's very much a a Maple Leaf man.
1: You've got to respect that because he probably, you know, as a highly rated youngster, he could probably go and buy this time and move on to play for potentially Germany or someone like that.
0: Something that just popped into my head, actually, a comparison potentially, if you think back to another young left-footed player who plays for one of the smaller nations and has been their standout player for a decade plus now. He could kind of be like the second coming of Gareth Bale in some ways, kind of like a really fast left back playing for, you know, Canada versus Wales, kind of like similar.
1: Canada hasn't had a player like Alfonso Davis since Jonathan de Guzman and his brother. So it's, it's, a, it's a big time for, for Canada.
4: I wanted to mention what Tim Richards, I'm a fan of the show and also the host of the Super Bayern pod, what he said about Alfonso Davis. The way that he uses his pace is what will make him the next big thing. His acceleration going forward, but also his ability to get beyond the attacker and recover the ball is outstanding. And that's a guy who's a big Bayern fan. So I think that just adds further weight to this argument that Alfonso Davis is a star in waiting, or perhaps already a star.
3: When young players break through in this way, one of the interesting things to look at is who are they replacing in the team or who are they pushing out of the team? And in this case, it's David Alaba, who, for a lot of people, might be one of, if not the best left back in the world at the moment. And Alfonso Davis is getting minutes in his position, which probably tells you all you need to know about what a good talent he is.
0: When you think of the Bundesliga, I think it's fair to say that most people would think of a certain Bavarian club. Bayern Munich have stolen the show down the years with 28 out of 56 titles since the reformation of the top flight German football in 1963. And have also won the last seven Bundesliga titles consecutively since they were last dethroned. However, there is more to German football than Bayern. And we're going to be paying homage to a few of those underdogs who are able to knock Bayern off their perch once upon a time. To start off, the team I want to heap praise on and remember with you guys were not just underdogs, but more than that, they were underwolves, if you'll pardon the pun. That team is VFL Wolfsburg, and this was the 2008-2009 season. There's a few iconic pieces to that success that I would love to highlight, but I'm really curious to know what it is that you guys remember about all of that.
4: The thing that I remember about that team is the strike partnership they had. And that's partly because, Keitel, you won't mind me saying that you were pretty obsessed with this team back when we were, were younger. And that was the duo of Edin Jecko, and Graffite. Is that right? Graffite? Yeah, Graffite, Graffite. He's Brazilian- like
3: graffiti <laughs> in Portuguese. <something.
4: laughs> yeah, anyway, so Jecko and Graffite I'll go with. And they, I mean, they both scored a bucket load of goals. Jecko getting 26 goals and Graffite, actually getting 28 goals in 25 Bundesliga appearances which just sounds absolutely crazy yeah I think no
0: strike partnership in Bundesliga history has ever had as much firepower as the Bosnian and the Brazilian that that season but just a couple other kind of standout players in that team that might be overlooked Andrea Barzagli the kind of epic Italian centre-back who's a real throwback to kind of old school Italian defending he just retired at the end of last season after having spent I think nine years at Juventus and pretty much having won the Serie A every season. But he actually, in his first season at Wolfsburg, was starting pretty much every game at the back. And he was with the Rock. Besides the the firepower up front, he was kind of shoring things up at the back to fire them toward that title. Likewise, Bosnian player, who actually used to play for Bayern, and he must have slipped through the cracks there because he ended up at, at Wolfsburg in that season. He out-assisted Meza Ozil, who was second in the league with assists, who got 15. Svejan Masimović assisted 20 goals. And of course, the, the manager at the time was Felix Magat, who famously, slash not so successfully, ended up in the Premier League with, with Fulham and sort of brought a few of his old uh, Wolfsburg players with him as well. So that Wolfsburg side really broke the mold and never, never was able to maintain it. And they've kind of trickled off since then and they're not really in the contention for Bundesliga titles these days but it was a special time for, for the Wolfsburg team.
1: The thing that bugs me out is where did Graffiti come from because he's not really been known since and I don't really remember him ever being someone that people talked about before either.
3: <laughs> this is the thing with Grafitte is that he had that prolific season at Wolfsburg I'd say only one other season in his career compares to that from a goal-scoring point of view, and that's at Al-Ali in 2012-13, where he scored 24 goals in 20 games. And he's reached double figures at various other points and things like that, but he's never had that like, astounding a season. But I think that's also part of the charm of the Wolfsburg win and the charm of a lot of these unexpected championship winners is that it's sort of flash in the pan, it's a moment in time, Rafiti will forever be associated with only that season at Wolfsburg in the wider football fandom. Yeah, to come back gone. to Felix Magath and his time at Fulham, it just seems so weird that a manager like that could have won the Bundesliga with such an unlikely team as well. Because of the stories that you heard about him at Fulham, there was a whole thing with uh, cheese. Was it a block of cheese that he suggested to Vreda Hangeland cure one of his injuries with by rubbing a block of mature cheddar on his leg or something like that. <laughs> and you think like, how is someone who believes that also capable of like masterminding this unexpected Bundesliga win with an unfancy team? It it doesn't make sense. You hear that,
1: you hear that with loads of managers, so I remember in one of the World Cups, uh, France had Raymond Raymond Dominic and they said that he used to pick his team based on astrology.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, He left yeah. Robert Perez out of the team because of his star sign, supposedly, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is just nonsense.
1: And, you know, there's other stuff. I even remember recently something came out about Wenger saying just coming out with a really corny team talk. Like, you need to just be like a pack of wolves or something. And then they, I think he might have made them all howl at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> something silly like that. But I reckon everyone's got their quirks, right? But that that story about Hangarvan is crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, if Alfonso Davis can be a quarter pounder, why can Felix Magat just, you know, roll in with some cheese?
4: Since the Premier League began in 1992, we have had the privilege of watching many Germans in action, 69 to be precise. Some have really captured the eye, whilst others didn't cover themselves in as much glory. Does anybody want to start by talking about perhaps one of the better Germans to grace the Premier League?
2: I'll open this one up. There are two Germans in the Premier League that I'd like to talk about. There's one of them that is uh, much more well-known than the other. But the first one I'm going to talk about, and I'm not I'm not expecting any of you guys to chip in on this one. This is purely for me. I just had to get this name into the podcast in some way. So one German that stands out in my mind was Jan Kirchhoff at Sunderland. He was someone that Sam Allardyce signed. He had made a name for himself at Mainz. He then had a lone spell at a season at Schalke, was playing for them in the Champions League. He was a defensive midfielder, a real destroyer. He read the game well, would step in win the ball, look up and calmly pass it out to those people that could skin a player and create opportunities for the team. But Jan Kirchhoff came into Sunderland after being signed by Bayern and he didn't really get much game time at Bayern. And so his move to Sunderland was a bit of a a chance to revive his career. That season, well, from January till May, Jan Kirchhoff played 15 games in the back end of the season, probably the most games he's ever played in a short period of time because he was so injury prone. And he absolutely turned Sutherland's season around when we survived by beating Everton 3-0, which sent our rivals Newcastle down.
4: Definitely a cult figure at the Stadium of Light. And, you know, it's good that he's mentioned in a podcast. I I don't think it probably happens that often. So well done for getting it in there.
2: His legacy lives on. But one player that I was going to bring up, I suppose you can't talk about German footballers in the Premier League without mentioning Meza Ozil. He signed for Arsenal in the summer of 2013 on transfer deadline day. And if I remember correctly, he helped to spark one of the first ever memes when the Sky Sports News reporter asked Arsene Wenger after a game they had the day before deadline day, whether they were going to do any business on deadline day. And Arsene Wenger gave this weird look to the camera, like, "Mm, maybe. So... I think we've got to get Mesut Ozil in there because he, for a short period of time he transformed Arsenal. He was a big player at Real Madrid. It was a real coup for Arsenal to get him at a time where Arsenal were maybe struggling to attract some of the biggest names. But after the end of his first season in the Premier League won the FA Cup with Arsenal and then he'd win the World Cup with Germany. But I think the interesting point about Mesut Ozil is he's been so impressive over his what's coming up to seven years in the Premier League. But I think there's a real question mark over him about whether his time in the Premier League could be deemed a success, or whether he hasn't lived up to everything that his potential promised. So I wondered whether you guys would class Meza Erzel as being a success in the Premier League, whether he's been a partial success, or whether you think actually in recent times he hasn't been as good as he should be.
0: I think that Meza Ozil is interesting because, just thinking about it a little bit, he's one of the biggest superstars in world football and has been for, for quite a while. Up with probably Messi, I would think he's probably a Adidas, Adidas, however you want to say it. He's probably their flagship kind of guy. And so he's really up there. He's got those strange links to like politicians in Turkey. He's basically like, he's bigger, he's almost bigger than the club, it feels like. I wouldn't be surprised if he has more followers on Instagram than our school. I think when you're kind of at that level and you've had so many people kind of treating you a certain way and etc etc you can just imagine Unai Emery you know trying to like get a little bit more out of him trying to like you know get some passion it's like no you you can't really he's on like a different level Mesut Ozil it's just not gonna work so I think there's been a bit of a a breakdown in communication between him and definitely the fans probably the managers that he's played under maybe even the coaches maybe some of his, his teammates as well he's quite a strange character but obviously he's got a brilliant left foot and he can see things that other players can't see on the football pitch. And even trademarking a, a shot. He, he, I think I saw an interview the other day about the reason why he does that, that chip, that he, he kicks the ball into the ground and bounces it over the goalkeeper rather than lifting it. He said the ball moves quicker that way. He, most players don't think about things like that. That's such a minute detail. But Meza Ozil is considering all of these things. He's, like I said, one of the, you know, one of the kind of most talented players that we've seen for a while. But for one reason or another, it hasn't looked like the full package maybe.
3: I think it's fair to say that some people will always see his time at Arsenal as a failure just because someone with that much talent hasn't taken Arsenal to the next level of winning the league, you know, going far in the Champions League. He's won FA Cups and his arrival spurred the end of Arsenal's trophy drought and that shouldn't be forgotten. But I think Arsenal have also failed him to an extent. As a fan, it will always be a regret that we had... Meza Ozil and Alexis Sanchez both at the peaks of their career and never surrounded them with enough quality because those are two players who should be challenging for titles or should have been challenging for titles when they were that good and they were good together and unfortunately the level of the team around them
1: wasn't. The guy I want to talk about is Loris Karius. He's had a really interesting time at Liverpool actually because he's brought in from Mainz, Klopp's old club and actually replaced Mignolet, who was a starter for a little while and quite respected in the dressing room. He booted him out of the top spot, became number one and um, obviously had that clangor in the Champions League final, which I felt awful for him for. I was fortunately in a room with Klopp recently and someone asked him, you know, what what did you say after at the end of the Champions League final to your players? And he said, I was lost for words because... The first thing I wanted to do was find some sort of comforting words for Carriers or just say something to him. And I couldn't figure out what to say to him. So I I was lost for words on that and therefore I was lost for words on what I said to the rest of the team. So he he said he didn't really say much. But no, quite a sad ending.
4: I think it was one of those things in the Champions League final when it happened. It was almost so ridiculous it didn't seem real. I can't remember before that or since ever being that kind of dumbstruck at something that's happened at a football game. And then, of course, for him to go on and make a second error, it was just like, wow. The thing I always felt about carius kind of prior to that game was I was never biggest fan of his because I found him quite arrogant in a way. He had that kind of sort of self-assurance, which was bizarre in some ways because he wasn't particularly good, but maybe part of why he got to the top was because he did back himself. Although, obviously, that would... Come back to haunt him in quite a spectacular fashion, and in that match in Kiev.
3: Yeah, I can't think of any other single performance that has so single-handedly destroyed a career at the top level.
2: Well, that's that's a question. That's a question for us to think about. I mean, you would have to go back to maybe Gareth Bale ruining Mykon's career <laughs> over two legs. <laughs> like, but on I, I, the point about the Champions League finaling, Loris Karius. I mean, no one wants to see. A major trophy awarded to a team after a game where a goalkeeper has made two absolutely awful mistakes and everyone felt for him on a personal level.
0: The flip side of that carrier's first mistake is Benzema, who I think that is his only goal. He's played in a few Champions League finals, but I think that's the only goal he's scored in a Champions League final. Like how does he feel? Like this that should have been the biggest moment of his career. And <laughs> no one even remembers basically that he scored. You think okay, bail bicycle kick and Karius' mistakes. You don't really think about Karen Benzema, who's like, that should have been the defining moment of his career.
3: If I remember correctly though, like it, he did react. It was a really quick stick out of the leg from him, wasn't it? It didn't just hit him. Was it so was also, better goal
0: than the bale bicycle kick? You well,
3: know? <laughs> I'd say maybe more <laughs> no, instinctive. No, you make
0: a good point. It was, there was some skill to the goal. He did show some good striker's instincts, you're right. Yeah, um, but you're right,
3: like no one remembers. or no one like rightly will remember that element of the goal.
4: Now we return to the feature we started in our previous episode, and that is Buddy the Bookie. After incorrectly predicting Schalke would beat Borussia Dortmund, Buddy the Bookie is back. And this time, the Wheaton Terrier will be predicting the outcome of Borussia Dortmund versus Bayern Munich. Buddy, take it away. It's time for a second, Buddy the bookie. Today, he's going to be predicting Borussia Dortmund versus Bayern Munich. Buddy, let's see if you can get it correct this time. Here we go. Oh, he's gone for Borussia Dortmund this time. So Buddy thinks Dortmund are going to win this time. Has he handed the victory to Bayern? Or is he a future the octopus after all?
3: From one significant classiker to another, the result that Buddy has predicted may well go some way to deciding the German league this season, but several years ago there was a potentially even more meaningful game played between Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund in the first all-German Champions League final. And looking back at this game, I'd forgotten quite how dominant Dortmund were, especially for the early part of the match. I mean, we think about Jurgen Klopp's early Liverpool teams, and even now, but in a much more controlled way, I'd say. But the early teams, when they used to blow other clubs away within the first 20 minutes of matches and go all out. And then sometimes if that didn't work, they would let teams back into the game. This really happened in the final. Dortmund were all over Bayern. And it was a phenomenal side, really explosive. But I think this also was quite important because it was a marker of almost a sea change in European football. Up until that point, it had been, in club terms, domination by teams like Barcelona, who had won, what, four out of the previous seven or eight Champions Leagues, something like that. And Real Madrid were a force. And Spain on the international stage were just completely dominant. But on the way to the final, Dortmund had beaten Real Madrid. Lewandowski had scored four goals in the home leg of that game, I think. And then in the other semi-final, I think it was Bayern had completely annihilated Barcelona. 7-0 on aggregate. Do you have any memories of that final?
0: One memory that sticks out to me of that game is the Robin winner, the winning goal. He kind of I don't know if he's carried the ball much at this point, but he kind of stumbles across the ball on the edge of the area. There's kind of like, I don't know if it's a pass or a deflection, but it falls nicely for him and he kind of takes a touch and he's through on goal. And Iron Robin from difficult, difficult positions has ice running through his veins. This is a one-on-one. The goalkeeper's basically already on the ground and he just kind of trickles it past him in kind of a funny way. Actually, it wasn't the most composed finish, but he figured out a way to get the ball in the back of the net. And I don't know how late that goal came. I think quite late in the game. Kind of like a, a, the final nail in the coffin for Dortmund. You, you knew Bayern were probably going to go on and win this, and, and Robin knew that too. And you can see it in his celebrations that this
4: goal has just won the
0: Champions League.
4: I think Robin has always been the man for the big occasion, and it is really quite fitting that he would go on to score that important match-winning goal. But I think for me, the thing I remember from that game was thinking afterwards. In some ways, is the Bundesliga now the kind of most dominant league? in Europe and also would the the Dortmunds and the Bayerns go on to win further European trophies beyond that 2013 final and I suppose in some ways it's quite interesting that Bayern haven't won the Champions League since 2013 and of course Dortmund haven't either.
1: Yeah I think there was a period where Bundesliga was kind of seen as the future of football in some ways and based on the kind of System that they had out there. I think there was some talk about following uh, Euro 2000, where they had a bad tournament. They revolutionised the league and kind of. I think they combined the FA and the league in some way and basically really supported homegrown players and stuff like that. And you look across the Bundesliga now. To be fair, and they still have great academies. But yeah, there was. It, you thought that the, it was really just going to kick on, and that Dortmund would continue to grow but actually Tuchel I guess he did do okay Tuchel but obviously never really reached the heights of Klopp's teams
4: I just want to talk about another famous European match involving a German side and sadly this is a match that I I hate thinking about so I don't know really why I'm talking about it right now it is of course Chelsea versus Bayern Munich, the Champions League final in 2012, the year before the famous Bayern victory at Wembley. And this final actually took place at the Allianz Arena. So Bayern were in the rare position of having a home advantage in a European final um, and were playing against a Chelsea side who hadn't actually finished in the top four that season in the Premier League. And what followed was quite frankly the most frustrating thing I've ever seen, where Bayern Munich went 1-0 up, then Drogba scores just before full-time and it goes to extra time, Bayern then miss a penalty in extra time and then eventually the game goes to a penalty shootout and you're thinking, a German team in a penalty shootout at their home ground, this is going to Bayern Munich, there's no way it can't. But of course, it did not end up that way. Guys, well we've got three Arsenal fans and a Sunderland fan on the line, but... I mean, what do you remember about that game? Because it all felt like a bit of a fluke to me.
2: Well, there was a lovely story uh, doing the rounds on social media this week on Didier Drogba's profiles. He was telling a story about how when Andre Villas-Boas got sacked after the first leg of the Napoli game, that the players had a bit of a summit meeting and that a lot of the players felt in some way responsible for the fact that Europe's then hottest coach had been fired for what was really quite an underwhelming seven or eight months in the Premier League. Um, So he was saying that the players had a summit where they all said, look, we've won the Premier League before. We know this team's coming towards the end of being at the peak of its powers. So they agreed as a team that they were going to focus all their energy on that Champions League to really have one last crack at it together because that was a team that had lost in finals before with John Terry slipped (laughs) in the rain in Moscow
4: gotta get
2: gotta get that in I don't know if it was a fluke I would say that they found a way that they could get results against teams that played much better football than them
0: Billy's kind of talking about the stars kind of aligning as Chelsea progressed towards this final. And whilst they were having trouble in the Premier League at the time, it did seem like there was something special about this Champions League run they were on. Whether or not it was a fluke, the final did seem like Bayern managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And it was quite a Mourinho type performance, I feel like in some ways, although was it, it was Roberto Di Matteo at the helm, I guess, but it was quite a defensive game played by Chelsea. But if, if there's any team kind of set up in recent history to play a defensive game, it's, it's Chelsea. And they hung in there for just as long as they needed to. They sucker-punched Bayern at the end with the dropper equaliser, and they held their nerve. So, gosh, I mean, probably must have been nice to be a Chelsea fan, I reckon. It's never nice to be a Chelsea <laughs> fan. Thank you for correcting me, Joe, because, yeah, <laughs> I realised I'd made a mistake as soon as I'd said that.
3: My, my memories of that are just feeling quite conflicted. I think I watched the game with you, and you, Joe, and also Kai. And it's never nice to see Chelsea win anything, let alone the Champions League. But having the payoff of Spurs not making it for the next season was simultaneously hilarious. But I think something you touched on, Joe, and also Kai, in snatching you know defeat from the jaws of victory and the missed penalty. One of the reasons why I and Robin celebrated so much in the Champions League final the year later is because it was his missed penalty in extra time that could and probably should have won it for Bayern Munich. And it didn't.
0: The time has now come for the Blazers for goalposts, Bundesliga Fantasy Draft. Fans of American sports will likely be familiar with the draft format, but essentially, we randomly generated the draft picking order between us and have each put together a starting 11 from a pool of the best Bundesliga players across their respective positions down the years that us guys have been following the league. To simplify the draft, and so as best to compare our teams, we've all stuck with a 4-4-2 formation. I'm going to hand things off to Mr. First Pick, Yanni Gordon-Teller. Yoni, what is your team's name, and who did you pick?
3: Thanks, Kai. Because I'm so confident that people are going to pick my team over all of your drafts, the team name is Mainz the Gap, and (laughs) in goal is Oliver Kahn, the one and only. Right back, we have Willy Sanyol, and at left back, we have Bixant Lizarazu, who are flanking a lovely Brazilian centre defensive partnership of Lucio and Dante. On the right wing, we have Douglas Costa, Left wing, Julian Brandt. And in the middle, Thiago Alcantara and Zeroberto, With goal machines, Robert Lewandowski and Roy Mackay,
2: the partnership up front. Little and large, you love to see it. My team is called Proudlocks Manshaft. Before any of you get the wrong idea, Manshaft is German for team. So no funny business there. I've got famous World Cup winner Ron robert Ziele in goal. Lukas Pichek at right back. Mats Hummels and Naldo at centre-half with Dede at left-back. We've got Jakub Blaszczykowski on the right wing. We've got a midfield of Balak and Diego with Frank Ribéry on the left. Then we've got Aubameyang and goal-scoring legend still doing his thing at the age of 41, Claudio Pizarro up top.
0: I was next in the picking order and with my name Kai, I've gone for Kaiserslautern as my team's name. In goal, I've got the Barcelona keeper these days, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. Uh, I've got uh, right back, he's the captain of my team, not that it really matters, Philip Lahm. Centre halves are the big fucking German Per Mertesacker and Jerome Boateng. Left back, David Alaba. On the right-hand side of midfield, we've got someone we've talked about a bunch today, Iron Robin, and the centre midfielders are Thomas Rosicki and Bastian Schweinsteiger which I believe Schweinsteiger means pig farmer in German. Anyway, on the left-hand side of midfield is Ousmane Dembele, who had one sensational season at Dortmund. And up top, Eden Dzeko and Lukas Podolski. I think quite a nicely balanced strike. Right. partnership.
4: My team, a bit like Kai, it, it, being inspired by my name, the team is called Joffenheim. And in the Joffenheim team, we have Manuel Neuer in goal. We have Ashraf Hakimi at right wing-back, or right-back. We have a centre-back pairing of Javi Martinez and Arna Friedrich, with Joshua Kimmich playing at left-back. Now, on the wings, we have Jadon Sancho and Serge Nabry. And then, captaining the team and sort of holding the midfield, we've got Mark Van Bommel. And then we've got Tony Cruz alongside him, just pulling the strings in that midfield. Up front, we have Thomas Muller. And then, probably my favourite player in the team, Ailton, the big Brazilian striker who won the league with Werder Bremen.
1: My team's called Jens Lehmann, uh named after my goalkeeper, Jens uh, uh, Right back, I've got Rafinha. I actually, I, I went for an undrafted player. I did a late night move. I, I originally had a guy called Bourdon. I got him confused with the French guy that played for Bordeaux, I think. Or, Anyways, different bloke. So I've changed him for Yuan, the uh, centre-back that played for Leverkusen before going to Roma. Uh, he's joined by Metz Elder at centre back. And then I've got Fonzie Davis at left back, Marco Royce on the right, a centre midfield pairing of Shabby Alonso and uh, Dortmund's once Wonder Kid, Nuri Sahin. And uh, my favourite player, Alex Kleb. And then an all German strike force of uh, Miroslav Klose and Timo Werner.
0: Lovely stuff. So, amongst us, real quick, who do we think might have? strongest team. Whether or not it's the strongest, one thing I noticed about Gianni's team was um, kind of an affiliation to Bayern players, with Julian Brandt being the only non-Bayern player in your entire team, actually.
3: Yeah, although, you know, I could argue that I've gone with uh, Bayer Leverkusen, and Lucio, but I mean that would be a lie <laughs> also. Yeah, I-, I like my team. Um, I also li- I like the balance. You've got quite a strong Brazilian core of that in there, especially if you consider that Thiago was born in Brazil, although he represents Spain. So you've got like a few German speakers, a few Portuguese speakers, and a couple of French speakers, just to round it off, which is important in a game that's never gonna happen.
0: <laughs> I just to make a shout for my guys, think that in Philip Lahm, David Alaba, Iron Robin, and Bashan Schweinsteiger, I arguably have the best player in each of their positions to choose from. Although maybe Schweinsteiger and Ballet could be interchanged. But That's what I'm going to say is that I think I've got some real superstars in here.
4: I'm going to plug my team as well. And whilst I think my team defensively might be very flawed, I think my attacking options potentially create one of the most exciting teams there. And with Mark Van Bommel just there to just kind of beat the shit out of anyone that attacks us, I feel I could become the neutral's favourite. I'm just saying it. Joffenheim, I think there's some potential in that team.
1: I'm going to be honest, none of you can compete with that strike force of Miroslav Kloza and Timo Werner. Team Werner is one of the best strikers in the world right now. Miroslav Kloza is the ultimate goal scorer and um, I think that pairing of Xabi Alonso and Nuri Sahin in the middle is absolutely sexy. So, in terms of sexiness, my team is on another level. So, <laughs> for that alone, I think, I think I've think i got the best team. I think my strike force might give yours
2: a run for a money. I've got Claudio Pizarro up top, who is the highest scoring foreigner in Bundesliga history and the the sixth highest all-time scorer in Bundesliga. It's because he's played and for he, about
3: 30 years there, that's why. <laughs> Look, years, the, stats,
2: the stats don't lie. He might be 41, but he's still doing a job. And you know, what, with, with the legs of Aubameyang next to him, he can just hold it up, win the headers, flick it on. Aubameyang can do all the running. I think... The team that I've got here will definitely be going back to Route 1 football.
0: Right then, we'll be posting our teams on some of our socials, so please do vote for your favourite one. And feel free to tell us what your lifetime Bundesliga 11 would look like if you had first pick for every position.
4: It's time for the Golden Blazer. After Ben Kay's nomination of the Netflix series Losers, this week we have Cicely Barnett deciding who's won the resplendent garment.
2: Hello, my name is Cicely Barnett, I'm Joe Alexander's girlfriend, and I should just mention far superior to him at kick-ups. Anyway, I have a couple of Golden Blazer nominations. One is a new, an album I discovered a couple of days ago by a band called Fruit Bats. It's called Gold Past Life and it's a sort of American soft rock, quite chilled album. Really nice for this current heatwave we're experiencing. And the other nomination is a film called Love and Mercy which is on iPlayer, and it follows... It's a sort of documentary film about Brian Wilson's life, Brian Wilson being the brains behind the Beach Boys. Those are my nominations. Thank you.
4: So there we have it. Some nominations to match this lovely weather we've been having in the United Kingdom. Big up to Fruit Bats and the film Love and Mercy.
0: We've come to the end of today's podcast, the Blazers for Goalpost team really just want to say thanks for joining us again this time. want to give a quick shout out to Tokyo Neo. That would be at Tokyo NEO on Twitter for their kind words about the pod. We do appreciate that. If you do want to get in touch with us or just discover a bit more of our content, look out for our social platforms. On Instagram, we are at Blazers for Goalposts. On Twitter, switching it up a little bit, at Blazers FG pod. And then find us on Facebook, likewise, as Instagram, at Blazers for Goalposts. We'll be uploading a bunch of content from this episode, including our Bundesliga Draft 11s. Look out for those. Last but not least, thanks so much to my old dear friend Gabriel Noble for joining us on the Blazers for Goalposts podcast for the first time. Hopefully we'll have him back again soon. Until next time, goodbye, everyone.